Paul encourages timid Timothy and discourages women who want to be pastors? Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Gospel, here at In Gospel, here <laughs> in at gospel. gospel Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. We're for the Gospel, in the Gospel, around, for all of the above. Yeah. yeah. We're a church. We're in uh, Santa yeah, we're Cruz. Church. We're a church. Biblical okay. church. Biblical church. Fair. Biblical gospel church. centered. I sure hope so, man. Biblical I sure church. Hope so someday they have to stand before God, and if he's like giving account, even listen to the word. That would that would be, be pretty brutal. Yeah, pretty rough. Pretty rough. Um, we're in the Pauline epistles, Paul's letters, uh, for, the, for the you know the layman, the pastorals, and yeah, and so now we're going to get into the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters. These are written to Timothy and Titus, two great guys. That uh, we never hear from them, I don't think. But they're not, Paul's. They're protégés. not good enough to get into the good book. You know, yeah, they're uh, mentioned a bunch, but they don't yeah. ever like speak. Um, Timothy has in the past gone to the Thessalonians, the Philippians, and Paul mentions the idea of sending him to the Corinthians as well. So Timothy and Titus both were guys that worked with Paul in his work of church planting, essentially, mm-hmm. and developing churches. Um, now <clears throat> Timothy is in Ephesus doing ministry there. Paul is clearly very close to Timothy, mm-hmm. and he calls him he calls him a son in Philippians two twenty two, mm-hmm. and Paul includes Timothy's name in six of the greetings of his letters. Yeah, which is which is you know uh, pretty amazing. So Timothy's with him a lot, and you know accompanying him as he's writing these letters. Yeah, well, so, yeah, even in verse two, you know, he's like my true child in the faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so pastor may not be the right term for Timothy. There's debate about that. I mean, pastoral letters, so, you know, how we would think of a pastor. But he is going around training elders, establishing churches. So he's doing pastoral ministry, but not necessarily in one place for mm. a super long time, mm-hmm. like we would want to do. Um, but they these books have a ton of application to pastors because they're written, written to guys who are in the trenches of ministry. Mm-hmm. And they're applicable to every Christian because every Christian should be doing the work of ministry to some extent, right? Yeah. Or sitting under the teaching of a pastor. Yeah. yeah. And and this is a good thing if you're trying to figure out, is my church biblical? Is you know Should my pastors be an authority? Well, there's, there's guidance on this. Mm-hmm. You don't have to fly blind and just say, well, I'm here, so I have to just trust whatever I'm told. You should be like the Bereans and check things in the Scripture and say, is this church functioning in a biblical way? No. If not, you got to either push to change it or leave it. Right. And maybe go to a different one or start a new one. I don't know, but you got to do something. <laughs> so um, anyway, these are very personal letters yeah. from Paul. So we, we hear a lot of his heart, which I always love, just getting a feel for who Paul is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, these are great books, so we're going we're gonna to dive into them. Awesome. When was it written? Not totally sure. Probably, you know, fifty mid fifties, early sixties is kind of the time frame for this, most likely. Okay. Second uh, Timothy is going to probably be his last book. That's what, what people, a lot say. people believe. No. So, no. but First Timothy was written before that, obviously. So, <laughs> anytime before he dies, you know, it's, it's a good time. Frame. <laughs> awesome. Why was it written? What's the whole point of this? Well, yeah, like I said, Paul's writing to his protege, giving him instructions of how to establish good church leadership, how to stick to the fundamentals of mm-hmm. ministry, yeah. you know, uh, oppose wrong teaching, teach the, the word accurately, all of those things. So we see in uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, a good kind of idea of what's happening here in the book. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, 
you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So this is all about biblical church leadership. That's sort of the theme, biblical church leadership, or you could say biblical ministry. Yeah, It's a general leadership ministry book. It's been a very useful book for us as we've uh, been coming up on the fourth year of church planning. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of good stuff of like new churches or young church leaders in the New Testament. It's <laughs> like God wanted us to start new churches and train new leaders. Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. What's the theme of this book? Uh, biblical church leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what we're going to see. The outline, chapter one, we see false versus true ministry. Chapter two, we see a focus on prayer in the church. It's also one of the controversial passages, mm-hmm. what feminists call the texts of terror. <laughs> which I love so much. Um, so we'll look at that one, a little bit of a, a challenging text. I don't think it's that challenging. Maybe oh. challenging to accept because we live in America. Yeah. But Exactly, yeah. Chapter three, leadership in the church, qualifications for deacons and overseers uh, or elders. And chapter four, we see Timothy's examples, Paul's encouragement to him specifically. Mm-hmm. And then chapters five and six are his further instructions and warnings. So he kind of sums up with a bunch of, like he always seems to do, a bunch of rapid fire things at the end. All of it. It's like you could have fit it into the main body. So he's like, yeah, got, got to talk oh, about this. Oh, and stuff. this, and yeah. this, and yeah. this. All right, let's get into it. Yeah. Chapter one, we see false versus true ministry. So he starts off in chapter one, verse three, with warning against false doctrine. Mm-hmm. He says, verse three, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So you got to keep people in line. You have to be, uh, you know, intentional and even aggressive about confronting false doctrine and rooting it out of the church. In verse 6 and 7, we see a, a picture of what false ministry looks like, false teachers look like. It says, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So false teachers are going to come. They're swerving away from God's word from the fundamentals of the faith, and they you know, have a desire to be known, to be respected, but they're not basing what they do on Scripture. So it's a selfish motive, not a motive of love and sacrifice for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very, very common in the ministry. But what is true ministry? Well, we see a, a picture of that in the second half of chapter 1, so verses 12 and following. And uh, we, we, you know, we see Paul, some of his testimony here, right? That he used to be a persecutor, of Christians, but that God gave grace to him. So true ministry is based upon the humility of the messenger, that they know, yeah. we know that we are sinful people, that we're the worst of sinners, and that we need God's grace. Mm-hmm. And this is where you get one of just the best verses in Paul, I think. Uh, chap- chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Yeah. So I'm the the worst of sinners. Yeah, how could you not think that about yourself when your whole life is consumed with the mission of sharing the goodness of God and the gospel, Christianity, and you were just killing people of that same religion before? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't think Paul is here just like a false humility. Oh, I'm just I'm just the worst. You know, I'm the worst. No, I think he understands the the just how far he was from Christ, mm-hmm. how much he knew about the law. And you know God's word when he was growing up, and how much he rejected of that truth, and how much grace has been given to him, yeah. and even just like the the grace given to him. I mean, Paul's a guy who saw into heaven, 
right? As we see in, in Second Corinthians, he's experienced so many things, and yet I'm sure he still had sin issues that he had to deal with. And so when you think about knowing so much and giving so much grace, any sin is just inexcusable yeah. in, in that sense. And so, yeah, I think we should think of ourselves the same way. We should, yeah. we should understand that we have fallen so far, not in a way of constantly being depressed or beating up on ourselves, but being thankful yeah. that God would use people that are as sinful as we are. Right. Right. I see that as a way to just be thankful. And then he goes on, right? Verse 16 is even more important. But I received mercy for this reason. So there's a purpose in God's mercy to Paul that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Hmm. So he's saying, God chose this really sinful person, the, the worst, most sinful person to show how patient he is with those that he wants yeah. to redeem. Yep. Praise God. What, a, what an encouragement, right? That is a great summary of the gospel. Yep. And so he praises God at the end there with the doxology, right? The king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's, he's worshiping God for what he's been given. And then he charges Timothy in light of this true ministry, right? Timothy, you ought to be this kind of a person. Right? Fight the good fight. Verse 18, the second part there. Wage the good warfare. Wage the good warfare. Fight as a soldier for this truth. Mm-hmm. Right? Be persistent in it. And so we see he's going to give him a lot of guidelines for how the church should look. Mm-hmm. Chapter 2, we see this focus on prayer. And within that, we see one of the most challenging passages for the New Testament in our day. Mm-hmm. because of how we view gender and how we view men and women as being the same and yeah. not having any real distinctions other than physical. Well, even that is, is debated in our world today, I guess. But uh, I'd, say, I'd say a lot of Christians would say, oh, yeah, God made us physically different, but there's no role difference. And this goes against every page of Scripture. Yeah. There's, yeah. I mean, there's no place in Scripture where we see those role distinctions being erased. Right. There's, there's a huge focus on that, obviously. Um, and people will point and say, like, well, what about Deborah? Or you, I guess you can go back and listen to our Judges um, series or, or <laughs> yeah. study, and we talk a little bit about that. But just because you know God does put women into a lot of prominent positions, amen, amen, that's an amazing thing. God uses women in powerful ways, just like he does men. 100% we affirm that. But there are differences in terms of certain roles. Yeah. So there are certain roles that are limited in the, in the Old Testament and in the New. Yeah. And one of those is is pastoral ministry, being being a elder in the church. So verse eight, right? He he speaks verse eight and nine. He speaks to, about women that their adorning should not be the outward thing. And again, he's not saying here you can't wear nice stuff, but he's saying that's not how you adorn yourself. Mm-hmm. Your adorning is about the inner person, the the good works. We see the same thing in in 1 Peter, right? Verse 10, adorn yourself with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good work. That's what should make you beautiful. That's what should um, be your adorning is the idea. And then he goes on to the tough part, right? Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. So two commands, quiet and submissive. What do those two mean is, of course, the question. Well, he does clarify in the next verse, right? I do not permit a woman to teach. So teaching corresponds with quiet mm-hmm. or to exercise authority over a man that corresponds with submissiveness. Mm-hmm. So the, the limitations here are in terms of 
some sort of teaching role and some sort of leadership role. Mm-hmm. Now, in chapter three, we'll see the teaching and leadership spiritually in the church belongs to elders. Right. So there's a clear connection there where, and again, I mean, every Christian denomination has agreed on this, it seems like, throughout all of history until the last hundred years or so. Really, I mean, probably less than that in terms of it being a big problem. Right. But through all of history, we knew that there were certain roles that were limited to men. Not because men are better, but because this is God's order. This is what God commands of us. So here we see him saying women should not be the ones, I would say, preaching on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. teaching over men. Yeah. Right? You can teach kids. You can teach other women. There's a lot of capacity women have, a lot of needs out there. And right now I'm meeting with a group of women to train them to teach in mm-hmm. those capacities right? and not outside of them. Um, and also women shouldn't exercise authority over a man. Mm-hmm. And this is not, I don't think, referring to ever telling a man what to do or ever giving instruction to a man like you know, Amber on her staff might say to the guys doing setup, like, hey, we need to have this room set up in this way. I wouldn't see that as this kind of authority, speaking to spiritual authority. Right, yeah. So yeah, the clear leadership and, and, t- and yeah, shepherding of the church. Right? Yeah. Speaking to that elder elder role. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I've seen so I know <clears throat> so many churches that have said, well, the word pastor is not necessarily the word used here, right? So we'll see in chapter three, it's it's more the word we would use for elder. Mm-hmm. So it never says women can't be pastors, so let's make women pastors. Again, we should not be looking at just semantics, just what word that we use. Pastor is a word that has been used culturally. It's not the most common word in the New Testament for our function in the church. That would be elder, translated bishop sometimes, overseer, those kinds of words. But, But just because of that, we shouldn't take these roles and give them to a woman. And for us, when you th- like, when the culture thinks of a pastor, like if you watch some Hallmark movie and there's a pastor in the in the Hallmark movie, he's gonna have his collar on. He's gonna be standing in front of a church. The church is always packed full of people. Do you even notice that? Like, <laughs> like shoulder to shoulder, um, and he's teaching from God's word, mm-hmm. usually badly, but that's another, another <laughs> thing. Um, so that's kind of how the, the world know the world understands a pastor is someone who teaches from the yeah, Bible. Our, the world understands that our our immediate church context understands that a pastor is the elder, the overseer of the church. Yeah. So why why would you mix it up? It's clearly an excuse to make women in that role. Right? Oh, and and I've never seen it where it doesn't lead to stuff, right? It's yeah. Like, oh, we'll right. just call them pastors, no big deal. And then a couple years later, oh, let's have them preach. Like, wait, oh, you know, it's just one time. And then a couple years later, let's have them be elders. Let's have them. And so, yeah, it's like just be honest about what you're trying to do. Don't yeah. don't sneak in. Yeah, you know, we, bit by bit. You guys can watch our other video. We we do a video that we dig into a little bit of the nuance of this this passage too. And you know, this is the context of the church. Can women be president? Yes, women can be president <laughs> yeah. of the United States and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so there, there's a lot of questions around this. Yeah, and I think that is something like it's called something like men's and women's roles in the church or something like that. Yeah, gender gender in the church. I don't know. But we do have more videos on that, so check those out. But the basic idea here, again, when we come to God's Word, what are we doing? Are we saying, what do we want this to say? Or are we saying, what did God say? And whatever He says, I'm going to receive that as a humble, submissive servant mm-hmm. and believe that what He says is better. That's the heart of faith. You're right. So we have to come to God's Word that way. And then and then the, the reasons He gives for this, so He says verse 13, 4, so that's kind of giving an explanation of the why, Behind mm-hmm. these rules, because you might still say, "Well, why? Why is that?" For Adam was firm, formed first, then Eve. 
And then verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So both the reasons he gives here, we can say, see first are both from Genesis 1. Oh, sorry, from Genesis, verse chapter 2 Genesis and chapter 3. Order, yeah. They're from creation and they're from the fall. Yeah. So they're explicitly not based on culture. Some people will say, oh, there was a, you know some weird thing. There's like there some ladies culture. in the church that were being boisterous. Yeah, that, wearing, like, then why doesn't he say that? Why yeah. doesn't he say that? Or there's some cult of the Artemis or something, kind of take something that's not explicitly mentioned here and try to make that the reason. What does it actually say? Mm-hmm. It says it's because of how God created the order of creation. Right. So God creating man first is significant. Mm-hmm. And again, I think we went through that a little bit in Genesis chapter two, but and then the fall and how the fall happened. Yeah. So and which again we not time to get into, but so those are the reasons it's not because of just something cultural that then we can move away from later. Yeah. And then the reason is not because men are better. It's like God has given men specifically this role, just like yeah. God has given women specific roles. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, well, let's, well, let's move on. Chapter three, <laughs> there's so much to so much to look at here. So, chapter three, we see leadership in the church, qualifications for overseers and deacons. So, overseer that's that word, episcopos. It's you know in the King James, that was translated bishop, um, but overseer is a good word. It's someone who has oversight and leadership in the church. Is the is the big idea? This is synonymous with a pastor or an elder. Mm-hmm. So, in Titus one. Verses five through seven, we see these terms used kind of interchangeably. Mm-hmm. So, an L, this is an elder description. Okay, and we're kind of in the mainstream with with thinking that. But this is this is kind of frustrating for me in terms of the elder, you know, overseer qualifications because it doesn't say too much about what this guy does, like what kind of talent he should have, right? What kind of like skills of the job? It doesn't say much about that, right? Everything comes back to character right and to conviction and so this is instructive for us and the same with deacon um, an elder pastor a deacon leaders in the church should be distinguished by the the character mm-hmm. the way they live their lives yeah so it's it's overwhelming focus in that direction you could I mean you could make the argument that when it says able to teach in verse two that that is a skill qualification yeah and I think that there's there is something about that. I've also heard people say, "Well, it's saying essentially like the, the type of life you live, you you're in a position to to teach others yeah. because you have something worth teaching." I think both are in view, right? If you're not mm-hmm. actually skilled to teach, then the church is going to suffer heavily, right? But but yeah, the big ideas here clearly character and conviction trump everything else, right? In the life of a pastor. Mm-hmm. So, um, any other thoughts on? Elders, deacons. I just no. I mean, yeah. I have a couple of thoughts on the egalitarian issue, but I think we've yeah, yeah, we'll, exhausted we'll it. Yeah. yeah. For for our church, we do um, believe we take some of the the language here in the deacon qualifications to say that a woman could be a deacon as well. But that's deaconess. That's but pretty. That's, that's uh, pretty standard view, though. That women can be deacons. It's not. It's not a rare view. No. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely debate on that. Like, there's debate on everything. So, <laughs> chapter four. Let's look at, so here we see Timothy's example. So Paul's speaking directly to Timothy now and encouraging him as to how he should live. So chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Hmm. There's so much that you can get into, so many little arguments you could talk about. 
the focus of a pastor and of a church leader should be to train yourself for godliness. Mm-hmm. And by extension, the focus of every believer. Yeah. Don't get caught up in a bunch of little little arguments, little things. Focus on what is most important and discipline mm-hmm. yourself. We'll see this a lot in 2 Timothy. <laughs> this pictures pictures of discipline. Discipline, stay focused, stay um, in the word, right? Keep doing the things that are so central to the ministry. Don't get distracted. Right. So discipline is so important and training for righteousness. Um, the, verse 9, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Hmm. So this is what we're striving toward. We have a hope, we have a confidence that God is going to save. Right? Yeah. We know who we're, who we're focused on. And... Um, I love some of these words. I talk about them a lot with you know young guys who are looking to ministry. I think about them a lot. Chapter eleven, or sorry, chapter four, verses eleven and twelve, says, "Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity." So don't look, don't let people look down on you for your youth. I mean, Timothy. A lot of people think he was. I mean, around our age, you know, like early thirties. I had a guy this morning ask me if I was forty. It's like, what are you like, forty? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> minus uh, but 10 years. yeah, you know, yeah, my, minus yeah, seven years. I'm like, getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Timothy was was young, relatively speaking. But it's not like he's talking to a twelve year old here, yeah. you know. And I think obviously there's application for twelve year olds. Yeah, be respectable, pursue the right things, yeah. and don't let your age be the determining factor. Of course, but uh, but the the key here is. Are you are you growing? Mm-hmm. It says, it says verse thirteen. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So he speak. This is speaking to the teaching from the Word, mm-hmm. right? Read the Word, encourage people, and teach its meaning. That's right. literally what preaching is for us. That's yeah. what we what we seek to do every yeah. week. Which has been a great part of our church, just the raising up of young guys in order to be able to have them teach. Yeah. It's really fun. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and verse, verse 15 is so good, right? Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Mm-hmm. I I love seeing people progress. I love people seeing people grow in different ways. And it's one of the biggest encouragements to me. You know, I, well, I try to dig it as a good thing. When someone comes to me and they say, you know what? You've really grown in your teaching. You, you're really, you've really gotten better. I, I try not to think of that in terms of, them saying you were trash before and now you're, I can like stay awake. I tried to take it that way and I don't think that's what they mean, hopefully, but, but that's encouraging because it should be evident that just as you're hoping and, and aiming for the growth of others, that you as a leader are growing yourself. Yeah. You're, you're becoming a better person. You're gaining wisdom that doesn't fade away, mm-hmm. right? That lasts and endures um, until the end of your life and beyond. So yeah, that's, that's the goal. So are you showing growth? If you're in leadership and then verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Those are the two things you got to watch your character mm-hmm. and your conviction, your doctrine. Yeah. Those are the two things you're constantly watching. Persist in this. He says, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Mm. So this is a matter of life and death. Stay focused on how you're living and what you're teaching. Mm-hmm. For for a pastor and a church leader, it comes down to those two things. Yeah, above all else. No, yeah. chapters five and six we have further instructions and warnings. 
Chapter 5 focuses on the life of the church in different age groups. So we see instructions to older men. Um, there's widows are focused on a lot here. What, you know, what should widows, what should their pattern of life be? Mm-hmm. Who do you help? You know, what situations do you help? We see servant and master relations examined here as well. And, um, and of course, we, all, we both love chapter 5, verse 18, right? Talks about making sure, or chapter, well, 17 and 18, right? <laughs> Pay your pastor. <laughs> Don't make them starve. <laughs> hey, I, I like that. I like to be, be able to do ministry. It's a great thing. Oh, yeah. And not be starving. Yep. Chapter 6 has some diversity here. There's a description of, of false teachers in verses 3 through 5. Um, there's some great words on wealth, which I think we have enough time we can talk about this in uh, verses 6 through 10. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're godly, you're content, there's a gain from that. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Yeah. That's that that biblical idea that you can't take anything with you, right? So that should shape how we see possessions. But verse eight, eight, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires Hmm. that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. She's not saying here that love of money is the root of all evil. Every evil comes from that. He'd be saying it is a a root of all kinds. All types of evil can come from love of money, right? Because it, you know money promises so many things to us and de- really delivers so little, right? In reality, yeah. But man, if you if you love money, not just if you have money, if you love it, mm-hmm. it, it can lead you away from the faith. Yeah. It becomes a false god, and I mean, Jesus speaks so much of how we relate to money. Oh, yeah. In his ministry. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. He's supposed to be our sustenance, right? Our our bread, our everything. And then when you replace that, money is like the primary thing for everybody. Yeah, So absolutely. Yeah. So he goes on to give these last encouragements. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I, I love those those encouragements. This, I mean, it's really rousing. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, Timothy, like fight. Make sure you stay strong in this. Mm-hmm. Um, talks talks a little more about wealth at the end here as well. Um, verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. I love that. Don't hope. I mean, riches <laughs> is so uncertain. And yeah. we've seen that, right? Mm-hmm. As soon as, uh, you know, someone gets into office, these things can just tank. <laughs> I'm not going to say like who or what party or anything like that. This is not a political podcast, obviously, but... You know, it's like you just see how the, the stock market goes up and down, houses go up and down. Everything is just volatile and crazy. But in the in the moment, we tend to think this is a sure bet. Right. And not not only that, not only do we going to have more wealth, but also wealth can deliver mm-hmm. certain things. Yeah. And so he's saying, no, don't set your hope on that. Set it on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Mm-hmm. There to do good, to be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. I love that. Rich in good works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be wealthy. Paul's Paul's a, he sounds like a prosperity preacher here. He's like, Yeah, be rich. <laughs> be rich in good works, in doing good things. Yeah. Be wealthy and use whatever wealth you have toward that end. Mm-hmm. And in that way, verse 19, you store up treasure for yourselves as a good foundation for the future. So that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Mm-hmm. So set that foundation. 
look towards what's ahead. This is a great reminder, great practical stuff here in, in First Timothy. Yeah, get you encouraged to like for anybody, not just the pastor, but for anybody to fight that good fight and be a good warrior for Christ, knowing that He's in control and yeah, knowing that we're called to do that greater calling, even though it's not easy. But it's the the reward is so much more than anything that riches can offer. You know, Amen. So anyway. absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us this week for the uh, book of First Timothy. We'll see you next week for Second Timothy.